Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 79. This week, we talk with Miao Jung about Azure API management, hipster Ipsum, and stop forcing your arbitrary password rules on me. This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Infragistics. Their developer toolkits provide world-class controls targeting Windows, Web, iOS, Android, Xamarin Forms, and more. Whether you're an individual developer or part of an enterprise team, they have something for you. Check out the latest today at infragistics.com. This week, we have Miao Jung. He's program manager on the API management team at Microsoft. And before Microsoft, he wrote high-frequency trading algorithms. Welcome, Miao. Hi, Dave. So uh, you got to tell me about this. So, you, you wrote, you, so you're one of these people that wrote these high-frequency trading algorithms. So you must have been like right beside the exchange, right? Because I know that like every like nanosecond counts on these. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you it's were like right in New York. Right. So one of my first projects uh, after I joined uh, my previous company is that it's called a co-locating project. So basically, we are moving our servers next to those exchanges to save uh, a few <laughs> microseconds. <laughs> that is just crazy. That, that Those algorithms, then, I mean, they you must be like so obsessed with performance because, you know, if you're if you're in a tight loop and you take a few extra milliseconds, I mean, you're just you're just dead in the water. Yeah, exactly. So if there is a delay in our pricing or in our algorithm, then basically um, other traders they can upcharge against us. Okay. Yeah. So so now I expect you know API management to be super super fast because <laughs> because you know because you know what you're doing <laughs> you know you know what the stakes are and then you said you I don't know if it was you but uh, you know somebody then had to sit there with like the red button right to like cancel the algorithms if yeah I have if a it's red going to... in front of me so if my algorithm is not performing well I have to hit it and stop my uh, my algorithm from running. Jeez, what was your what was your stress level then? Were you just like sweaty all day from just like sitting there like please? Um, please, please. over time. You get to use you get used to it <laughs> yeah but it's very similar to you know from those movies like uh, the wolf of the wall street it's like yeah it's very similar to those environments very high, very stressful <laughs> that's that's pretty wild Fast-paced, yeah yep and then on the other line we have carl how's it going carl it's going pretty good yeah so what is this about the mvp summit who are these mvp people so uh i'm one of them oh and and Next week is the MVP Summit. That's an event where Microsoft kind of calls in all the MVPs who can make the travel out to Redmond. And that's where we find out about a lot of the cool things that are coming up. And uh, we get to have a little bit of feedback as well into some of the products that we're all specialists in. Mm -hmm. And uh, on Thursday, there's actually going to be several hackathon sessions, and I'm hoping to be recording there. So if you're an MVP who happens to be listening and uh, you want to get on the show, uh, this is an excellent time to do so. So just reach out to me on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter is at Carl Schweitzer, and uh, we can hook something up. Okay. We have no idea how we're going to do this yet, but we will figure it out at the last possible minute because like we, like to plan, like, we like to plan ahead by at least five minutes. Uh, okay. So what do we got for feedback? Uh, this week, the feedback was uh, on Twitter from uh, Sam Lees, and he says, every now and then, Coding Horror or Spolsky fits the bill for engineering tech space, and sometimes Scott Hanselman or the MS Dev Show. And we were just really honored to be mentioned among some pretty big names there. So yep. for this piece of feedback, Sam, you win the Infragistic Ultimate License. Uh, that is over $2,000 and contains everything that they do. And if you would like to get one of these licenses, just like Sam, just give us a piece of feedback on Facebook, iTunes. We really love them there. They really help us out. Uh, even on our website, just leave us a message there and uh, you'll be entered in, in for a chance to win. Yeah. And actually I should point out too. I mean, if you leave a comment on the website or if you put a question on there, uh, either Carl or I generally answer those. So that's a, that's a great place to engage with us. 
Okay, so what do we got for news? The first one, you're using JavaScript frameworks from your C-sharp UWP application. I know you had sent this one to me, and you were pretty excited about it. Well, I, I just thought it was, in, I, I wouldn't say excited, but really interested because I know that on Windows, even Windows 8, and even more so on Windows 10, that uh, JavaScript runs insanely fast inside of an application. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, there's this post here that explains how to uh, reference and interact with JavaScript libraries themselves uh, within C-sharp applications. And I just thought this was kind of, Kind of interesting. And I think you had a little bit of immediate poo-poo on it, but... Uh. <laughs> no, well, I will say, like, overall, what I want to be able to do is use the language that makes sense. And, and typically, what ends up happening to me is when I'm in JavaScript, I wish I'm in C-sharp. And when I'm C-sharp, I wish I'm in JavaScript. So, um, you know, it's usually like the grass is greener effect. Um, no, I, I've, I've seen, I've seen people build frameworks like this that were, I think this one ha has a little bit different intention, but, you know, just be really careful. This one, I mean, it's targeting UWP app, so this shouldn't be an issue, but I've seen people build like bridges on top of, um, Xamarin apps, you know, using, using JavaScript and expecting to target, you know, a thousand different uh, types of devices. And, you know, you're basically, you know, instead of having one place where things can change, you're, you're, you know, sort of expanding that out. Now, now you're, you know, Node.js or JavaScript environment can change, your C-sharp environment can change, your Xamarin environment, you know, you name it, you're, you're just setting yourself up for more. But again, I would say in general, you know, it's all about developer productivity. And if I can either use the libraries I already have, or as I'm developing, use the thing that makes sense, you know, like I'm working on an app right now where honestly, I would just, I would kill for, you know, being able to embed a little bit of a C sharp into it. Um, that would sort of mess up my project and make things complicated. But if I could do that without really any, any effort, I could just say, Oh, you know what, this section is C sharp and just do it and, and have those objects translate over in that. Um, there's probably times when I would do that. So I don't, you know, I don't think that this in general is, is a bad idea, but definitely think about what you're doing whenever you're doing this. Probably said too much about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's move on. So I want these glasses. So these are RGB shades. So before anybody decides to <laughs> click on this, it does immediately start playing a video that has some pretty loud music. So oh, just yeah. a little bit of warning with that. Yeah. So so these are sunglasses that have an array of RGB LEDs on them. And you can programmatically make them do whatever you want. And the video that they have just shows a bunch of cool things. They show like a rainbow screaming by, little sine waves, little particles going around. Um they have a couple different editions, one where you kind of build it yourself and one where it's all put together. So if you just kind of want to get to the programming, the fun stuff, if that's what you're into, you can do that. But if you're into the, you know, the hardware, the building as well, they do have a, a, an edition where you can put it together yourself. These are so, so cool. <laughs> How much is it? 130 bucks. <laughs> that's why I haven't ordered 10 of them. <laughs> yeah, they're really cool. In fact, uh, where did I see it? Cause I was, I was looking at the description. Let me see here. It said something about you will like have a swarm of people around you. 
I, I know this would be just an amazing thing to bring to like a, a hackathon or a conference or something. Uh, you'd definitely be the hit of the day. Yeah, you would, you would be the center of attention. Here we go. Fair warning. When you wear these, I like, it's like a disclaimer. You will be the center of attention. They're impossible <laughs> to ignore. And the ultimate conversation starter, you're a mobile light show and people will stop you to talk to you. If you need to get across a crowded room quickly, it's okay to turn off the RGB shades for a few minutes. <laughs> and I totally believe that. I think that no matter where you wore these, you would be, everybody would be staring at you. So if that's what you're into, go ahead and buy these. Or if you're just a hacker and well, yeah, this might be a good way to get some attention if you're normally just, you know, building these things. Um, or if you just want your kids to think you're cool. Uh, speaking of being cool, uh, <laughs> hipster Ipsum, what is this Carl? So, you know, th there's all sorts of lorem Ipsum replacements out there. And, yep. uh, this one, you know, I, I just like how they really stuck with the hipster theme throughout the entire thing, uh, to generate their hipster Ipsum, uh, you click a button called beer me. <laughs> yeah. And I love it on the right too. It says PBR money. <laughs> nice. So it, it's, it's, it's not anything huge or, you know, it's going to change your dev world. But if, if you like the, the hipster theme, might something you want to sneak in there. <laughs> I love this artisanal filler text for your site or project. This is like when we had uh, Brian Munzemeyer on and he was talking about, it was like artisanal CSS or something. <laughs> <laughs> this is artisanal filler text. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. 10 features in C sharp that you really should learn and use. And I look through all of these and I agree with these. These are all really, really cool features. So one of the things I really liked about this list is, you know, you're probably doing some of them already. It's not like a list of, Hey, here's some new stuff that you don't know about. Um, th there's stuff like lambdas, the null, null coalescing operator, yep. uh, stuff like that. But it does have some of the new stuff in there too. Uh, we've talked about the null conditional operator and the name of expression that are all C sharp six features. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I, I think it's great sometimes because, you know, there, there are things that I know about, but don't always use, um, as often as like number nine, the as and is operators. Yeah. I, I, I hadn't I, seen that one. Yeah. You know, I, I, I have used them in the past, but probably not as often as I should. I've used as, but I didn't know there was is if person is adult. And then you can say, yeah, X as some type. That one's new to me. Yield. I really love yield. In fact, um, I should have had a, I, I, I can't remember who it was. I <laughs> feel bad now, but somebody on Twitter mentioned that, um, I, you know, my blog, I actually had an issue and some of my pages were down and I have an article out there from, uh, I think it's six years ago now talking about uh, yield return. And I still get, I don't know, a thousand visitors every month, just looking at that uh, yield return. Cause I think that's an incredibly useful statement. Um, so yeah, the, uh, the rest of the list is a exercise left for the reader. Um, then this next one, Facebook fiasco, and this one you'll, you'll have to explain here. Uh, but basically uh, I'll sort of give a little bit of background. Uh, Facebook came out and they said, oh, sorry, we screwed a whole bunch of stuff up because what was going on was people noticed that the, the battery drain was just horrible with the, with the Facebook app. And I, I use it on my phone only like once a week. So it wasn't an issue for me, but I, I guess it was, uh, it was pretty darn bad. And they came out and they said, oh, sorry, we, you know, we had some bugs in there and, and now that we fixed them. Uh, but I know you had mentioned that, um, uh, you, you know, you didn't really believe their, their public explanation. It sounds like they were doing something devious. Yeah. So, you know, a little bit of, you know, disclaimer out there. I am not an iOS developer. I do not, you know, f 
am, am not fully familiar with the APIs and how they work, mm-hmm. but I, I, I do listen to a few people who are iOS developers and do have some pretty strong opinions that I, um, you know, that I trust. And so that's where I'm going to pull some of this out from. Mm-hmm. So what, what was going on is, like Jason said, the iOS Facebook app uh, was using a lot of battery. And with iOS 9 in the battery application, you can see where it's using that, if it's using it on the screen or if it's using it in a background task. And uh, there's a, a lot of times where people were even killing the application. And if you kill the application, it shouldn't be able to um, bring itself back. But even after people would kill the application, they were noticing it was still getting background time getting added to it. And... Um, some iOS developers were looking at it and making some really strong assumptions that Facebook is going out of their way to launch and keep their code running when you're not using their app. And if you look at it, you're taking the point where we were arguing back and forth on Slack last night about this. Jason was taking the point that, you know, they probably either had a really good reason to do it or, you know, it was an honest programming mistake. They happened. And, well, I don't. I didn't think that they well, had a, an honest reason to do it. I I thought it was a programming mistake. I I, yeah, I, I yeah. I I guess yeah. My 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 sort of default default position, and, and unless unless I you know hear some evidence to the to the contrary, is that they you know programming is hard, and you're going to screw stuff up, and that's that that was at least my initial reaction. And and you had given me some additional information on that. Yeah, and another thing that they had done is, uh, in their side, they had said that, oh, we we're having a problem that when we were playing video, that the audio would keep playing silence. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that they failed to mention is that they had opened up a background task just to play silence. Yeah, and and that was something that people were were able to figure out pretty quickly. So you know, and and that's one of the ways to keep a background task open indefinitely so you can run your own code. So it, it's looking like Facebook wasn't, wasn't quite as honest and uh, innocent as they claim. And I don't know, there's something that just bugged me a bit and I wanted to bring up today. Yeah, I actually, this is, this is, I think I, I didn't see this link until just a little bit ago, but there, there's actually a hacker news article that somebody linked from that post as well. And they sort of have a back and forth on that. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. It, it doesn't seem to be, it, it's not cut and dry that they, that they were doing anything malicious. I mean, I think what they were doing was kind of complicated because the, they autoplay videos whenever you scroll and it sounds like that made it much more pronounced. Um, so that would, that would kick it in. And then, you know, I, I'm still not convinced that it wasn't just something stuck around. I mean, that would be so easy to do. So, uh, I think we, I'll, I'll throw a link to that in the show notes if people want to look at uh, more discussion there. I don't think we have to, to talk it to death, but there's some, different sides in that, um, in those comments. Um, and then the last one here, stop forcing your arbitrary password rules on me. So this one, you know, I don't know, I guess you don't even have to necessarily read this one. Cause it's really just a long explanation of why you shouldn't do that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I guess personally, I'm just sick and tired of these sites, especially like, um, you know, you go to like a medical site or something like that. And you it says, create your password. And of course I put in my super secure, uh, auto-generated 16 character password goes, your password can't be longer than eight characters. It's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. And then he talks about how, if you're, um, I guess there's a site, I wasn't aware of this, but it's how secure is my password. And if you put in, um, you know, random string of eight characters, it takes a desktop PC about three days to crack it. 
If your password is chili dog monkey nutso with no special characters, it would take a desktop PC about 18 quintillion years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even though that password looks easy to us, um, you know, it's actually a really good password. So, um, you know, I think that that's a good point. Don't just don't restrict it. I mean, if I want to have a 50 character password, just leave me alone. <laughs> well, one of the problems is you have a lot of like, especially banking and insurance institutions are, are great for this about having really old systems that they're trying to interface with and their systems just can't handle that. They only plan for people having eight characters and them only being numbers and letters. Oh, I don't, that's just not acceptable though. Like, I don't care if it costs them a lot of money. Like that's just as holding my money and, and, you know, I guess I'm going to go into rant mode here, but the, um, you know, whenever we're talking about the cloud and this is, hasn't come up as much, but people were like, Oh, the security, of the cloud, the cloud, I can't put my stuff in the cloud yet. Everybody trusts all their money to these organizations that, that just appear so incompetent on the surface. I mean, the fact that they're like, Oh, well we can't, you know, we have this other system. It only takes eight characters. It's like, really? Oh my God, that's not a good sign. And that's where you're putting, you know, all your hard earned money. But, you know, God forbid you, you know, you run your application in the cloud because then your life would be over if it goes down for five minutes <laughs> and rant. Yeah. yeah so I'm, I'm also going to throw another link in the show notes. Uh, it's going to be entitled Password Haystacks. And okay. if you're familiar with uh, Steve Gibson, he's uh, this is what he's calling uh, his little bit of research. And the fact that the length of your password is more important than all the fancy characters that you put in there and the diversity. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, well, we spent enough time on the news. I want to talk to Meow here about API management, which is which is an awesome topic. Um, so we've been meaning to cover this topic for a long time, and um, you know, I think it's something. Even if even if people aren't looking at the the specific service that we're going to be talking about, I think the the concepts are extremely important. So I think anybody listening, this is going to be uh, applicable for. So I guess Meow, you know. If, you know, I, I have APIs, obviously I have, you know, things that are published out on the internet. Why do I need management? Sure. So in my opinion, everybody who builds APIs and expose it to whether you're internal developers or external developers or partners, you will need API management. So there were a few reasons. So once you build an API and want to expose it to, um, to developers, you will be facing with a number of challenges. So the first challenge is basically uh, for almost every single API program, there is one metric or KPI that is very important. It is called uh, time to first success- successful call. So basically it measures how long it takes a developer to make the first successful call to your API, right? So uh, as, a, as an API publisher, there are many ways uh, you can help, you can do to help re- reduce the friction. So first of all, you can uh, provide a self-service developer portal for people to sign up um, and uh, subscribe to the APIs they want to use, right? And uh, uh, so in comparison, uh, traditionally, uh, if some if you do not have a developer portal, someone has to maybe send emails uh, back and forth to get approved to use your API, and you need to create an account for uh, every single developer and maybe create uh, a token or API key for them to call your APIs, right? So with, develop- so with this self-service developer portal, uh, everything will be taken care of. And also, once you have the developer portal, uh, it will be great if you can uh, provide documentations about your APIs on a portal so people can learn what parameters is needed uh, to, to use your API, what's the headers required to make API calls. And so, what's oh, yeah, oh go ahead. I was just going to say, I love that that time to you know first use your API. That is, a, that is an incredible metric because if 
if you're, you know, if, if a user comes along and they want to use your API, but they're, you know, if, if they don't have some like insane reason that they have to be using that particular API, right. if you don't win them over in let's say five minutes, they're gone. And I remember talking to somebody at Twilio, um, mm-hmm. and, and they always said, you know, their goal at the time was five minutes and they're like, yeah, we, we're going to change this. You know, we're, we're trying to bring this down to like four or three and then ultimately like two minutes or so. I don't know what, what the exact numbers are, yeah. but they said, you know, we have two minutes to convince somebody to, to use our service if we don't exactly. get them in that time. So that, that alone, I think is, is like such a, such a good metric as to, as to why, why you would want to make that experience better. So continue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, to make it even better, um, it will be very helpful if there is an interactive developer console in the portal. So basically, people can play with your APIs without even writing a single line of code. So they can uh, basically make API calls from the portal and learn how to use it and see if it is something they, they want to use for their project, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is uh, the developer portal. Uh, so if you use API management, this comes uh, with it out of the box. You don't, so you don't need to create it by yourself, right? So the second thing is that once you expose your APIs to external developers or to your partners, security becomes a very important concern, right? For example, what if someone has a bug in uh, in his program and the, the program starts to call your API millions of times per, per minute, right? So it is very likely to bring down your backend services and impact your other developers. So with API uh, management, you can uh, have uh, policies like, like rate, limit, rate limit policies you can say, okay, for this specific developer or application, they are only allowed uh, to make a hundred calls per per second or per minute. Right? It's very easy to it's very easy, easy to do. And also, uh, with API management, uh, every developer who use your API uh, will have uh, a set of API keys to call your API. Right? So uh, it is very easy to revoke any of the keys if you uh, would like to to do that. Are those less than eight characters? <laughs> no, <it's, laughs> uh, 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 much longer. <laughs> I'm still hot and bothered about the the eight characters in the bank. So, <laughs> uh, <yeah>. sorry. <laughs> yeah, and the, the third thing is that with API management, you can create a facade on top of your existing APIs. So, if you work for a company or an organization like Microsoft, it's uh, you might have uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of APIs, right? So those APIs might be written by different developers at different times with different technologies, right? Some of them return JSON, some of them return uh, XML. So they might look very inconsistent. So with API management, you can create this facade and uh, you can uh, use our policy, our transformation policies to make your uh, different APIs to look as consistent as possible. And also with API management, you can set up a single front door for all your APIs. So basically, this is a public URL for all your APIs. And uh, um, basically, it becomes a single. Uh, so basically, all the traffic goes, go, uh, so basically, all the traffic uh, to your APIs go through this single uh, front door, which basically uh, becomes a single point of control, right? So if we want to shut down public access to your APIs, you can just uh, uh, shut, shut down the front door, right? And also, uh, last but not the least, uh, nowadays, if you are going to launch a website, it, it is very likely you are going to add uh, some sort of analytics, right? It is, it is the same for API programs. So uh, with API management, we automatically collect all the telemetries of how your APIs are being used, what is your most popular APIs, who is uh, using your, uh, your APIs the most, uh, where are the requests coming from, uh, What's the uh, rate of uh, su- successful call versus failed call versus bl- blocked call kind of thing? So these are all features that come uh, with API management that you don't need to build um, 
by ourselves. And I think they help address a lot of challenges uh, if you want to publish your APIs. Carl, I got to interrupt this for just a second, and I want to talk about Infragistics. Yeah, if you comment uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, on our website, you have a chance to win the ultimate license from Infragistics. And this is pretty cool because it covers a lot of stuff. Um, They have controls for Android, iOS, Windows Phone, Windows 8, ASP.NET, MVC, WPF, jQuery, HTML5, just tons of stuff. And they even have stuff for Xamarin Forms. So if you're trying to hit all three major mobile platforms with one, they got controls to help you out there. If you need tabular stuff uh, with their grids, they got really cool controls to help make that look uh, just really sharp. Charting, gauges, barcodes, it's all pretty simple using their controls. And if you just have some uh, simple prototyping needs, they have a product called Indigo Studio too. It lets you get that prototype done so you can show this to the stakeholders and you know sell your ideas. Yeah, what I love about that, you can just send them a link and they can actually navigate through the app. But uh, like you mentioned earlier, all of these controls across all these different platforms, this is great. I mean, most people don't just develop one type of app now. So being able to to go and use these controls in every type of app all under one ultimate license is is really big plus. If we don't select you uh, each week, you could try again next week. And if you can't wait, they have free demos. So you can try it out for a month, download the demos and try it today. Yeah, check it out at infragistics.com. They're a free trial, so you have nothing to lose. And remember, each week, if we pick your comment on the show, you get the ultimate edition for free, which includes everything. We thank them for their support of the MS Dev Show. So how quickly can I get up and running if I have my own API and I want to start using this? Mm-hmm. So um, to create an API management instance, you just go to uh, Azure Management Portal, right? Say, okay, I want to create an API management service, and it takes about 15 minutes to be created. And after that, you are ready to go. And, uh, um, and in my opinion, uh, we are one of the easiest um, solutions to, to, to use among all API management providers. Uh, I have interviewed many of our customers, and a lot of them, a lot of them say uh, it only takes them less than a month to go into production. Very cool. Very cool. So mm-hmm. one thing I want to understand, I, you know, yeah. you talked about a ton of awesome features in there and I know we want to talk about a lot of those individually, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, I'm just thinking my, if my existing API is, is exposed to the world right. and I want to put API management in front of that, right. um, how do I do that? Because eventually I want to take my, my API you know, like the way that I'm serving it, let's say it's, you know, a web API or Node.js or something like that. And I want to make it so that that's not publicly accessible. So you have to go through the front door. So how do I set up that pattern? Sure. So there are uh, a few approach to help you address the problem. The most common one is called mutual certificate authentication. So basically, when uh, the proxy server in API management makes an API call to your backend, right, it will present you uh, a trusted uh, certificate. So if there is a random person on the internet who happened to discover the URL of your backend service, uh, he, he or she still cannot make API calls to your backend because uh, he, he or she does not have the, uh, the, cert- the certificate. Right? So that's one approach. And also, if you have a standard or premium tier instance of API management, we guarantee that the IP address of our proxy server will be constant. So you can configure uh, firewall rules in your backends to only allow traffic coming from our proxy server. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the third approach is that if you have a premium uh, 
tier instance of API management, we also support VPN, so you can add our proxy server to your virtual network. So anybody, so anybody from outside the, the network will not be able to reach to your uh, on-prem uh, servers. Oh, so I could, so I could actually have this thing hosted like in a private network on-prem and and, and expose it through that proxy. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of cool. Because I mean. I could see potentially using it even just for that, right? Because then I don't have to expose my, you know, it just if you're looking at a business and a, in, you know, an internal network, mm-hmm. you just don't want to open up ports or expose things. Um, right. So I mean, it just helps me avoid that, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So that's actually one of our most uh, popular uh, feature in the premium tier because we have some uh, insurance and financial customers who are very sensitive about exposing their backend to the internet. So they host their APIs on-prem, but only expose it uh, to the public through the, the proxy. So if I have uh, an API app on Azure, what's the relationship between that and API management? That's a great question. I got asked like tens of times like per day. <laughs> but, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So, so currently, there is not a direct relationship between API apps and API management. However, you can... However, with API apps, you, uh, you have this Swagger file describing your, uh, your APIs, right? So you can import that Swagger file into API management, right, to create a definition uh, of your APIs. So, uh, yeah, so uh, we, got this, we, we, we got asked about this a lot, and uh, uh, we are working uh, with the API apps team to come up with a plan to better integrate with each other. Okay, very cool. Now, you mentioned Swagger. Can, can, maybe we should describe what that is because, you know, I don't know, anytime I hear it mentioned, everybody assumes I know what it is and, and I've looked at it like I get it, but I mm-hmm. honestly, I, I just haven't really worked with it much. So what is Swagger? Sure. So Swagger is a JSON file which uh, has all the metadata about an API, like what's the URL of the API, what's the parameters required to use this API, what are some of the, uh, you know, what are the examples of responses or what are the exp- examples of requests. So basically it's a JSON file describes how the APIs uh, looks like. Okay, very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I wanted to understand like how I manage my API. So, you know, you know, when I log in, I see a whole bunch of different terms like products and applications and, and a lot of other terminology in there. Mm-hmm. So what what do I actually need to know to get in there and get started? Sure. So in API management, there are three um, concepts. It's, uh, there are API uh, products and the groups. So basically, uh, you, so for example, if you have two APIs, right, A and B, you can put them under different products. So a product is basically a bundle of APIs. You can put uh, API 1, API A into product 1. You can put API B into uh, product 2, right? And then you have groups, different groups of developers. You might have a group, you might have one group for your all your internal developers. And then you might have one group for your partners, right? Then you can assign visibility of products to different groups. You can say, for my uh, internal developers, they can see both products. Uh, and for my external partners, they can only see product one. So this is how you manage visibility and access to your APIs. So I, I'm me as a developer, when I create something, I, I'm kind of lazy and I don't really like to document things. Mm-hmm. This includes like even code <laughs> examples. Uh, so is there any kind of assistance that uh, API management gives me to provide example code of my API to yeah, exactly. users? Yeah. So, so in our development portal, it comes with automatically generated uh, sample code and a documentation for your APIs. So how does that create that is when you, when you cr- uh, 
in, when you create API definitions in API management, there are two ways to do it. First, you, you can either import a Swagger file or WADL file, which already has all the metadata about the APIs, right? Or you can manually type in the information of your APIs, like what's what's the parameter, what's the um, what's the response look like. So based on this metadata you provide to us, we automatically generate uh, sample code in different languages like C Sharp, uh, Java, PHP, uh, Node.js, and we also create. Uh, documentations of your APIs automatically. Very handy. Uh, so let's talk about caching. So sure. I guess, first of all, what is the purpose of caching? Sure. So, so the purpose of caching is to uh, reduce traffic to your backend and also reduce latency. So for example, if, you're, if you are a data provider and your API basically, uh, so basically you sell data through uh, APIs, right? So if your data do not change frequently, so let's say if I make an API request, um, and then uh, two minutes later, uh, Carl makes another request, which is exactly uh, the same as mine, right? So with response caching, the second request does not have to go to your backend. We can just grab the previous response from my request and return it to Carl. So it saves some time and also saves uh, and also reduce traffic to your backend. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. So that's like on uh, the get calls, I assume. Like you know, the, is it just on get calls? Uh, yes. Okay, <laughs> I was just making sure. Right. Um, what about um, so w- when when people are actually using the API, what kind of stats can I get about usage? I know you said that they can see those, but how comprehensive is that? Are those statistics? Sure. So they can get uh, uh, number of API calls, number of su- successful, failed, blocked calls, uh, and also they can see uh, the, the the bandwidth and uh, uh, you know the the, the usage of uh, the cache. And all these stats can be break down per API, per product, per operation, per developer, uh, per subscription, or per per region. Okay. Does that give me um, like errors on my API? Like if something went uh, wrong? Yes. Right. Oh, okay. Right. So, that so could failed calls. Yeah. So failed request is basically uh, yeah. Okay, but it'll actually show me like the the you know the exception details or. Uh, it does not. That's a very very good question. Yeah. So. Well, I guess my, you know, I guess in the HTTP world, there, there's, you know, you sort of have to invent your own exceptions, right? So right. if I give back, though, like a non 200 response mm. and I put some information in that response, does that get captured somewhere? Uh, no, but that's a okay. really good question. So our uh, out of box analytics, I think it's good for 90% of our customers, right? But there are still customers who, uh, like the scenario you, you, you described, who want to get more de- details about what, what's happening uh, in the traffic, right? So we have recently uh, released, actually it's uh, being released uh, um, as we speak right now. Uh, it's called Log to Event Hub. So you know, in Azure, there's another service called Event Hub. Basically, it is a cloud-based event uh, ingester, right, which can handle millions of events per second. So with this Log to Event Hub feature, you can simply log anything you are interested uh, to Event Hub. Right? You can log like a uh, header of incoming requests, uh, body of you know, failed responses, uh, kind of thing. Right, and the front and once your data once data is collected in Event Hub, you can build anything after that. Like you can build a uh, real time dashboard. You can create a notification system so that you get alerted when uh, when, when when something is not ra- is is, uh, is wrong, right? Or you can feed all the data into a machine learning algorithm to uh, to get some insights about the traffic. Okay, yeah, I wasn't aware of that. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And and honestly, like if if I'm gonna throw an exception. I guess I probably should be logging that myself anyway, because then I have the stack trace. Mm-hmm, uh, right. But yeah, ultimately having 
having the API management also tell me like when things fail would be, would be useful. That's pretty cool that it goes to event hubs. Cause then you can, you can really like, you know, funnel that anywhere. You could have that go. Yeah. Go into a SQL database, have it right. go to power BI, wherever it's yeah, pretty yeah. cool. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. So how much does uh, API management cost? Sure. So currently we have three tiers, developer, standard, and a premium. So the developer tier is $49 per month. Uh, for standard, it's seven hundred bucks per month, and for premium, it is uh, twenty eight forty nine uh, per month. Holy cow! I don't have that much money. <laughs> so, so on the on like the developer tier, I mean, is, it, I, I assume that's still valid for production, right? Uh, so we would encourage our customers to go to production oh, not, okay. standard. <laughs> and the reason is because the developer tier does not have SLA. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. There's no SLA, but if if I'm if I'm using this. Um, like what are the, what are sort of the, the levels that I get with each of those? I mean, it's not yeah, unlimited for each tier, right? Right, right. So for, uh, the developer instance, you can make 32,000 uh, costs per, per day. And also you get a certain amount of, uh, cash usage and, uh, uh, you're limited to 10 developer accounts. So for standard and the premium, uh, so first of all, so for standard, you can make uh, 7 million calls per day. And for premium, you can, make 30, you can make 32 million calls per day. And there is no limit on how many developer accounts you can have. Okay. So this is, I mean, this is pretty, this is like an industrial solution. I mean, it's going to, that's pretty, that's from pretty crazy scale. Mm-hmm. So and also, oh, uh, yeah. And also uh, premium has a little more features like uh, uh, AD integration. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, Azure Active Directory integration and a VPN integration. Okay, cool. So how does this compare to other things on the market? I know you said that like the, the speed or the simplicity of getting up and running with this is, is, you know, you think better than anything else on the market. Um, you know, what about overall, how does this compare to other solutions? So the first thing I think, uh, uh, the time to get going is, um, is great for, uh, Azure API management. And also secondly, um, Actually, I think, in my opinion, I think our pricing is fairly reasonable, especially uh, to enterprise customers. Uh, and also, uh, I think we have a complete feature set. So there are a lot of uh, API management providers uh, on the market right now, right? So some of them do not have developer portal. Some of them is uh, proxy only. And uh, um, and also another thing is that since we are an Azure service, so we can. Uh, integrate with uh, many other Azure services like Azure Active Directory, so developers can sign in to the developer portal with their organization uh, ID, right? And like I mentioned, we uh, have just integrated with Event Hubs, and uh, uh, we are also planning to integrate with more services such as um, we are thinking uh, using App Insight to uh, create our dashboard, right? And uh, um, yeah, so I think these are the four main um, uh, main benefits of of our service. So is there anything that somebody might want to do with API management that it's not really a good scenario for? Uh, that's a good question. Um, in my opinion, I think the only scenario I can think of that is uh, not good for API management is if you are building a ultra, ultra low latency uh, system. So because uh, at the end of the uh, day, API management has to add one more layer, one more hub on top of the existing APIs, right? That's our proxy server. So that 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 will add probably uh, ten to fifteen millisecond latency to to the um, to um, to the traffic. So if your if latency is super super important to your application, then then I think it is not good to use API management. Other than, other than that, I think yeah, that's kind of an extreme though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, for for mostly, I mean, that's still pretty darn fast. I mean, if you're 
if your call, you know, is like five milliseconds and, you know, adding 10 is an issue. Um, those are, those are pretty low numbers, especially considering all the benefits you get, because I guess I would, I would urge people to think about the scenarios because with that read caching in many cases, it's going to be faster because if you don't, you know, when when your system starts to get under load, um, you know, it's going to have to sit there and serve all those read requests. But if, if API management is taking that off your hands, um, you can focus on doing, you know, actual logic. That's, that's much more important because in most systems, I mean, most systems are, are pretty read heavy. Um, so shifting that, uh, you know, offloading that can be pretty significant. And then, like I mentioned, you're going to get a consistent speed on the, on the read side and your server isn't going to feel that pressure at all. Right. Right. So, yeah. So I've talked to many customers. Um, I think only one uh, of them thought API management is not good for them because they have API that provides live stock quotes, uh, that feeds into some sort of algorithms. Um, so for that, every um, millisecond, actually every microsecond counts for them. So that's the only customer I've talked to who thinks it's not good to use API management. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, what other features did we not talk about? Is there anything that, that you wanted to mention that we didn't dive into? Uh, yeah, sure. So one of the features um, I think it's very important is uh, REST, our REST APIs. So we have, an, we have APIs for our API management platform. So, so everything you can do in the publisher portal, you can do it through our API. So it's so it's it's um, very handy for uh, you know uh, for uh, auto deployment for managing your API management uh, instance uh, automatically. Right? That, so that's one feature. Um, and another feature we are going to release in the near future is Git integration. So uh, so REST API is good to to manage your. Um, your API management instance uh, programmatically. But if you think about uh, DevOps uh, scenarios, so sometimes making changes to API management, to, I mean, to the different configurations is not good, good enough. They also want to uh, version all the changes, right? So we added a Git repo to every uh, API management instance so people can make changes. So, so basically you can pull uh, all the configurations through Git to your local uh, machine as, as files and you can change them uh, uh, and then push them back um, to the to the Git repo. Oh, that's really cool. That's yeah, how so that's how I want to do it. <laughs> yeah. So all the changes will be versioned. Yeah. Okay, that's very cool. And also, uh, we are also working on some other features like uh, flexible throttling. So currently, uh, how throttling works is like it's based off your API key, right? So it's like uh, for this API key, it can make a hundred calls per second. So it is not very flexible. So we are making that. Uh, to be able to uh, based on anything, any string, it can be your IP address, it can be uh, you know the uh, some value in the header, so it will be much much more uh, flexible in terms of the ability, the capability to 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 rate limit people. Um, and also we are uh, adding a set of features called uh, request fan out. So currently, uh, when a request comes in, right, so uh, we will apply some policies, and then the request will be forwarded uh, to the backend service, right. So, however, we have been asked by uh, some customers uh, if they can make um, some additional uh, REST calls to uh, external endpoints, for example, to collect some additional information before, ma- before making the call to the backend or to, um, to do some checks uh, after the, the response has been uh, received. So we have added this uh, capability to allow you to make arbitrary, um, API, I mean, arbitrary HTTP requests to any uh, external endpoints. So is there anything in the future that's coming out that you can talk about we might be interested in? Uh, you mean in terms of features? Yeah, yeah. future features. 
<laughs> uh, so yeah, so the things I just mentioned, they are all future features. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I know you mentioned a couple of them. Few, few weeks. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. So we already got that. Um, anything else you wanted to talk about? Um, I know one thing that I don't think we really covered was like subscriptions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause I think there's this concept of subscriptions in there, right. For APIs. Right. I, I, that was the only thing I can think of that, that, that we didn't really cover. Did you want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. So basically, um, so we talked about in API management, APIs are grouped into products, right? So once a developer, uh, comes to a developer portal and a sign up for an account, uh, he will be able to see all the products that's uh, available to him, right? And then he can uh, uh, request to sub- so then he can uh, sus- request to subscribe to one or more of the products. So once the subscription is approved, uh, so what subscription? So uh, so once the subscription, so once the request is approved, uh, one subscription will be created, and then he will be able to um, uh, use the APIs in in that product. And uh, uh, as the API publisher, if uh, you don't want you want to revoke the uh, access to this API uh, from this developer, you can just remove the subscription. Okay. Very yeah. cool. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else, or do we do we cover everything? Uh, think about it. That was everything I could think of. So one thing I want to mention is that uh, um, so. Uh, we are a very customer-led team, and uh, mm-hmm. we work very closely with our customers. So, um, if if you have any questions, if you, if you have any feedback for us, feel free to shoot me an email directly or find me on Twitter. Okay, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, let's get into our Azure pick of the week. Um, obviously, people should use API management, um, and this is. But this is actually, I have a pick that's not API management, but, um, and I don't even know if you call this a pick, but uh, I'm picking it anyway. You can't, you guys can't stop me. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, the CBC, uh, and Radio Canada, I don't know if it's the same company or what, but it's CBC dash or slash uh, Radio Canada. Um, they built an app on top of Azure. And they handle, let's see here, I want to get these stats right. They scaled their infrastructure across three different geographical regions, and they had about 1,300 cores, and they served over 3.6 billion requests over a period of six hours. So this was showing um, the election results as it was happening uh, up in Canada. So they were having peaks of over 800,000 requests per second. So almost a million requests every single second, which is just crazy, crazy scale. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just it's just crazy. Um, yeah, so I just want to point that out, and I I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. But I just thought that was uh, that was pretty cool. I mean, that's a that's a great use case for something like Azure because uh, they were able to scale that up. I'm guessing they don't normally get 800,000 requests per second. It's probably a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of that. Um, so they were able to scale that back down and save a ton of money. And then, Carl, what do you have for the dev tip of the week? So the dev tip of the week is in reference to a few weeks ago when we were talking about uh, live tiles with Matt Heidinger and Andrew Barris. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've, th- their team has since released a new uh, adaptive template or adaptive syntax that you can uh, put in your live tiles uh, since build 10.572 on the Windows Mobile preview. And it'll give you the 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 people tile effect. So in the current uh, people tile, you'll get uh, little circles with people that you know in there. And uh, instead of like rotating or doing something like that, the circles will actually roll around. 
And you can add that effect to your application's tiles now as well. And the blog post that we're linking to in the show notes uh, goes through everything that you can do with this new uh, uh, tile template. Okay. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Okay, so Meow, we played this uh, game on the show. I didn't warn you about this ahead of time, but this is a this is a game for kids. It's called You Gotta Be Kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's always good, right? Um, so what I need you to do, I need you to pick a number between zero and five. Okay, uh, three. Okay, <laughs> you still pick three. Uh, okay, that's kind of a long story. Uh, okay, so then all you have to do is you have to answer this question. Okay. Would you rather be forced to share your bedroom with a huge reindeer or be forced to share your bathroom with a man who has strange skin rashes? <laughs> <laughs> you got to be kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it's called, and it's a game for kids, And uh, but we're forcing you to play it. <laughs> um. I will probably choose the first one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, well, what's not clear to me is, is the reindeer in a cage or something. I mean, if it's just like loose, it's mm-hmm. going to attack you, I think. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm just, I'm assuming, I mean, the card doesn't have these answers, and uh, but uh, I'm just assuming. But anyway, okay, Carl, pick a number between one and four. I'll pick one. Okay. (laughs) Would you rather wake up one morning and see that your body is covered with hundreds of tiny snails or wake up with your nose and ears filled with a weird smelling yellow slime, (laughs) AKA Mondays. (laughs) Uh, I'd have to go with the latter. Snails just freak me out. (laughs) And like, how would you explain that too? Like, Oh yes. Hundreds of snails. This is, this is normal. Okay, so um, yeah, where can people find you? You mentioned Twitter. Where can people find you online? Sure. So uh, you got my uh, Twitter handle, right? Yep. What is it? <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's just my first name and last name, M-I-A-O-J-I-A-N-G. Okay, perfect. And we'll have a link to that in the show notes so that people can find you. Uh, and we'll have uh, we'll have a couple other links there, including a link to uh, API management. Mm-hmm. And Carl, where can people find you? You can find me at WPDevGuy.com or on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. Perfect. And you can find me at ytechie.com or on Twitter at twitter.com slash ytechie. So Meow, thank you so much for coming on here and talking about API management. It's really cool stuff. Thank you so much. Thank you. Be sure to subscribe by searching for MS Dev Show in your favorite podcasting app. Leave us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast aggregator of choice. Visit us at msdevshow.com where you can leave comments, check out our links, show notes, and more. Visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash msdevshow. You can send us your comments and feedback directly to feedback at msdevshow.com. 